Welcome to Season 4 of the Tommy and Adam Partinian Podcast. Starring El Gran Tommy Martini. And featuring Adam Tate. Brought to you by Datacoba Promotions. Datacoba Promotions Studio One and featuring Datacoba Promotions Studio Equipment. And now, buckle up for the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. <laughs> welcome and welcome to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast, season four, episode number five. And no, you still won't hear the voice of my friend, plus the humblest man that I know on planet Earth, Mr. Adam Tate, because he is still on hiatus and not back. Eh, hopefully you will be hearing him soon, sometime next year in 2023. In the meantime, I am your host, Tommy Martinez, and I am ready to deliver yet another great episode of this podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, CastBox, and many other of your favorite DSPs. It is Christmas Eve today, so how about I just call this episode the Christmas Eve special because uh, I have no other name for it. Maybe I'll rename it before the podcast is over. Anyway, I hope you're all done with your Christmas shopping for those who are involved in commercial Christmas. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know what I mean. And if not, well, you know, shoot. Well, hopefully you're out there scrambling and you're able to get what you need and back as soon as you can and enjoy this Saturday. Because fortunately, I'm done with mine. I only shop for my wife. My wife actually takes care of everybody else in the uh, Martinez stronghold. So I was going to ask my uh, my son-in-law, Aaron, to sit in today for Adam, but it just couldn't happen. It's so early Saturday morning and it's so cold. It's been so cold out here in the uh, Kansas area. It was, I think it was earlier this week. It was uh, below zero at some point. It's not very uh, warm to be outside, but if you are, you know, or you're going to be, well, good for you. I really hope that you get back as soon as you can. Usually on Christmas Eve, I'll put on my uh, Santa Claus outfit with some uh, leather and uh, ride my motorcycle around town for about maybe half an hour screw around this year that's not going to happen it's so cold that i'm just going to go ahead and relax right here at the house and enjoy the grandchildren and sit back watch some of that chaos regarding last episode i did read some comments and some notes as always they're not encouraging i thank you anyway for taking the time to share your thoughts uh, regarding the questions about Adam, all those things, I'll probably go ahead and hold on to all that because I can't answer him. I really don't know what he's doing. Nonetheless, I'm ready to jump right into it with this. Eggnog. 
Good morning. Today is December the 24th of 2022. And today is National Eggnog Day. And that beautiful song, hold up, let me give you some more. <laughs> that beautiful song is by a group called Lunchbox. And it's the heavy metal eggnog song. Rush, move to the side. We just found your replacements. So check it out. This is according to uh, and brought to you from the pages of the National Day Calendar. By this time, I think we should all know what eggnog is. I believe I've had it once, and it was from a carton, a milk carton bought at the supermarket. I've never had homemade eggnog. A lot of people are grossed out by it. Uh, I, I just tried it for trying. We have our own uh, version. And when I say we, uh, the Puerto Rican culture has their own version of eggnog. It's called coquito. We've covered that here in prior podcasts. Eggnog is made with milk and cream, sugar, eggs, and spices. I think they throw in nutmeg and pumpkin spice, shit like that, uh, to make it more seasonally. Probably some cinnamon as well. And since it has eggs... Anything that has to do with huevos, Puerto Rican males, I can't speak for the rest of Latin America, but huevos and basically anything with eggs would be huevos, so kind of stay away from that. Now that is, again, if you're a guy who likes huevos, well, that's, you know, that's okay. That's your thing. This is a very uh, open-minded podcast, but, you know, huevo nog is not going to work. It just, it's just, you know, the minute you see egg, you immediately think huevos and then, you know, egg Nog, Guevo Nog, and it just gets lost in the translation. Maybe that's why they came up with Coquito. Could be. And just like Coquito, you could throw in alcohol into this eggnog. That would, I would imagine, made it more festive. And it says here that people who manufacture or make eggnog uh, sometimes could throw in brandy, rum, whiskey, bourbon, vodka, etc., etc. Sometimes they could even mix a combination of alcohol. And man, just really spike that thing up. For Christmas, there's a whole culture of eggnog treats that could also be either made or purchased at your local grocery stores. You could bake little cakes and get flavored this or flavored that eggnog. I would imagine cookies and candies and the rest of those uh, treats that are given out in these holiday parties. Now that I think about it, it's probably you have some of this cannabis flavored eggnog. I, I, all you people who like uh, smoking cannabis and Using cannabis and weed products, I'm positive there's all kinds of possibilities out there for you. I'm just saying, I wouldn't know, though. I'll make that clear. <laughs> Guebo Nog Cannabis Gummies. There you go. That's something. Getting back to the regular eggnog, it says here that uh, the origins of eggnog itself are debated. Some say it was concoction coming out of East Anglia, England. However... Others believe that it originated as a medieval European beverage made with uh, hot milk. Still, regardless, it sounds gross. And these are the parts within the podcast that make me long for that seat across from me here in Date Coba Studios 1 that my friend Adam Tate occupies so he could lay some of his knowledge on me. He is a descendant uh, from that part of the world, <laughs> I guess. And uh, hopefully he would have known something about this eggnog. Sadly, he's not here. Now I have to go ahead and 
fumble through this uh, Guebonog stuff, you have to suffer along with me as I try to get through it. But no worries, we're coming to an end. Here are some suggestions that you could uh, do for hashtag National Eggnog Day while gathering together with family and friends. Enjoy a glass or two of eggnog. Sure, why not? Other ways to enjoy the day would include baking eggnog-flavored goodies like I had mentioned prior. Make a seasonal ice cream or other holiday treat to share. Uh, There's some recipes all over the place for this. Uh, You'll just have to search the internet to alternatives to drinking eggnog. And I have some suggestions here. I have something called a frozen grasshopper. There's another one called blood orange rosemary fizz. Then there's one called guava punch with sweet vermouth. And I need to clear that it's guava punch, not guevo punch. And then there's something called Walker's malt wine. And the list goes on. How will I celebrate hashtag National Eggnog Day? I have no clue. But it's always recommended that whatever you do, shoot, go ahead and take a picture, post it on social media and enjoy or at least show everyone else that you're enjoying National Guebonog Day. And just in case you didn't know, it's also National Christmas Eve Day. It's the Tanya and Adam's Hard to Name Podcast. Today in Rock History, brought to you from the pages of History.com, Today in Music.com, SongFactsHistory.com, and ClassicBands.com. And we all know this is Iron Butterflies in the Gata da Vida. Sometimes I wish I could just play music on this podcast. That way I could shut the hell up. But, you know, that's not my style. This is a heavy metal classic right here. And in 1968, December the 14th, 1968, Iron Butterfly's classic album, In the God of the Vida, is certified gold. Now, this was about six, seven months after it was released because it was recorded on May the 27th of 1968 and released just six months prior on June the 14th, 1968. This is something that's really interesting about this. The group's guitarist is on record saying that uh, Doug Engel, Doug Engel was the organist of the group, had been up late one night writing the song. The following morning, he showed up with what he called the seed of their next record. And he said, boys, I got a new number. It's called In the Garden of Eden. However, he was exhausted, could have been drunk, could have been whatever. And he pronounced it in Agata de Vida instead of In the Garden of Eden. And the band said, that's it. That's the title. (laughs) That's the way you come up with things, just on the fly. It's cool about it. That's how things usually just work themselves out without giving it too much thought. Because In the Garden of Vida was Iron Butterfly's only song to reach the top 40 reaching number 30 while the album itself reached number four on the album chart. An eight minute and 20 second edit of this particular song because this song lasts 17 minutes plus more or less. So it's been cut down. That edit was featured in a movie called The Manhunter, which was based on the novel The Red Dragon, which featured and gave us the character of Hannibal Lecter. 
So there's a little bit of a uh, Iron Butterfly slash Hannibal Lecter tie-in. But this particular uh, movie, The Manhunter, had nothing to do with The Silence of the Lambs or anything like this. This particular movie had uh, been directed by Michael Mann of Miami Vice fame and the few other projects you may know as The Last of the Mohicans, The Insider, Heat, Collateral, you know, those movies like that. So this guy definitely knew his music and the awesome effect it could have on an audience that is watching these movies. Going back to the song, in 2009, it was named the 24th greatest hard rock song uh, by VH1. And this would be the uh, eight-minute version, which is what you usually hear if you get a chance every once in a while on classic rock radio. As of this date, that album has sold over 30 million copies. That's pretty crazy. Not for a song that uh, usually you would cite immediately as some kind of uh, influential heavy metal song. Usually uh, you would cite Black Sabbath, which was more or less starting out at the time that uh, Iron Butterfly was around. Okay, now this is the Christmas season and I I have another tie-in. Now, the Christmas season is biblical, right? Judeo-Christian, you know, basically the majority of our faith here in the United States. The Garden of Eden is too. See how that works? Boys, your kids up slow. You mean your mom doesn't buy your hind? No pleasure, she. Wait till you taste it. I have no idea sometimes how I come up with these cuts. But uh, that's the Heinz commercial with the Carly Simon song, Anticipation which was released on December the 11th of 1971, and it reached number 13th during a 10-week run. You all know this is basically a uh, hard rock and heavy metal podcast. The funny thing is, when I was reading through uh, some things that I needed to go ahead and research for this podcast, I came across this little tidbit, and I still remember it. The commercial, I also remember the song on the radio. Hearing the modulation on the actual recording, it kind of reminded me of the times when TVs were just simple black and white TVs, had nothing uh, too fancy. You couldn't hear it in stereo and things like that. It seems to me we take these small things for granted. And don't get me wrong, not that I want to go back to that because I really like modern times. These flashbacks, man, they just make you think that's all it is. And I better quit because I'm not even 60 yet. If my kids get a Get a wind of this. They'll probably put me in a home before my time. Settle down, class. It's this week's rockin' higher education lesson on Led Zeppelin 101 with Professor Adam Lee Tate. That's right. You are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast, available on Spotify and all the rest of your favorite DSPs like Apple Podcast app. <laughs> and that is Led Zeppelin. And uh, since the professor is out, I am your substitute professor for this lesson uh, this week. 
And I was looking for something Christmassy because I kind of felt, and it's been bugging me for a while, but I had heard uh, this Zeppelin mix, ooh, I don't know how long ago. So I kind of did a little bit of research on it, but really nothing came up. So let me lower this down because I'm speaking too loud over the music. I guess that's why the professor is the one that does this. Anyway, uh, it, again, it was this is some of their songs redone Christmas style. But, uh, you know, I, I just really didn't find anything. So anyway, but I did come across this uh, very cool record back from 1972 that was titled Led Zeppelin Merry Christmas, Mr. Jimmy. And evidently there's two CDs to it, but uh, I, I would imagine it was pirated. I, I don't know. It's just something that, um, again, makes me want uh, the professor to be here. So hopefully when the professor listens to this podcast, he's taking notes and he'll be able to come back and uh, maybe uh, refresh our minds or our memories or whatever it is and bring some facts, some nice factoids about this record. So. Check it out if you get a chance, if you're bored of all that, excuse me, if you've had uh, just a tad bit too much of that Christmas music uh, as you shop or you're in the elevators or maybe uh, as you're perusing through your radio or whatever programs you may have, uh, pop in and look for this. It's Led Zeppelin Christmas. And uh, I think you're going to be very, uh, (laughs) very pleasantly surprised. So that's this week's Zeppelin. Yeah, (laughs) I put very little effort this week into the Zeppelin 101. If you get a chance, uh, look for this record for real. It was released on uh, the Lemon Song label. I mentioned this about the Chris, the Christmas songs because, of, quite frankly, a lot of people get tired of listening to uh, the standards. I mean, they're playing them since before Thanksgiving. Not all of us are all the time Christmassy. Throw in a little bit of rock and roll flavor. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this past week, my beautiful wife, Wilden and me, we were, we were getting some coffee and she was busting my balls about rock music always playing in my truck. You know, she goes on about that I should have some kind of uh, Christmas tunes on uh, my radio. And I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. And by chance, <laughs> Rushes Closer to the Heart came on. And I told her, that's my song. <laughs> it's like I'm programmed to say that. And then she says, ah, all the songs that come on are your songs. And I said, well, of course. And then I remembered that Neil Peart plays bells and chimes and things on this song and i said no 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 listen listen this is a christmas song and she says this is not a christmas song so (laughs) so when the chorus came on i changed it and i sang instead of closer to the heart i just said feliz navidad (laughs) let me pause this podcast for a second while i find closer to the heart okay i'm back Here's a, a quick example of what I'm talking about. So closer to the heart, if you really listen just to the music, they have the bells and chimes and whatnot, and it kind of gives you that Christmassy flavor. So let's check it out. Is that cool or what? And the men who hold high 
Check it out. Feliz Navidad. Closer to the heart. Blacksmith and the artist reflected in I don't think that uh, Nia Peart and the guys from Rush intended this to be a Christmas song, but what the hell? Made it into it. Now, check this other part right here. This is where I told you. Listen, listen, to Will. This is true. Listen. It was just pure chance. Listen, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's a hell of a lot better than listening to Mariah Carey being blasted all over the, uh, the major stores. Uh, <laughs> PA system. And that one part that Gidi goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I jumped in and said, oh, this is perfect opportunity to land a ho, ho, ho right there in that song. <laughs> Needless to say, my wonderful wife was not amused. She wasn't amused one single bit. Whew. Let's stop the nonsense and the nonsense stories because we're going to head back to 1973. December the 15th. 1973 when Aerosmith performed their first single Dream On on American Bandstand this obviously is not American Bandstand because this is a live version uh, this live version I think was played on uh, the Midnight Special it says here in 1974 so maybe a year later Their guitarist Joe Perry would later say that he didn't particularly like this song, but knew the band needed to record a ballad if they wanted to get radio plays. So it was a compromise kind of deal on behalf of Joe Perry. I think when we, uh, when Adam and me went ahead and discussed uh, Seasons of Wither, Perry wasn't particularly fond of that song either, which was a great hit. This is arguably Aerosmith's most famous song, which is Dream On. There isn't a single time you don't go to a show. Anytime you don't look at Aerosmith as a group, uh, you just remember this incredibly beautiful song, Dream On. Released in June of 1973, it peaked at number 59 on the Billboard Hot 100. But where this uh, particular song received a lot of airplay was at Aerosmith's native Boston. There was three stations that were playing it year round. One particular station, and I'm going to go ahead and mention this because this is very important, at least historically. Radio station, obviously, back then was the way to get your music out. Depending on how heavy that airplay was depends how successful your song could, could be. There was these segments within radio which were either the morning segment or the morning show or the afternoon segment or the afternoon show. This station had one of these uh, segments and it was called the top five at five. Now you do know the rush hour is usually the four to six o'clock hour and five being the peak hour. This song, Dream On from Aerosmith in Boston, made that number one spot countless times during the summer of 1973 keeping the song alive also keeping the song in the public ear what's very cool here is that now you want to listen to dream on you just have to go to your favorite uh dsp or whatever platform you use type in dream on and you can hear it back then you had to have the record had to have a record player drop the needle listen to the song or 
do like everybody else had to do was wait until it was played on the radio. So you can imagine you're in this insane uh, traffic at five o'clock and you're listening to your top five songs that day on this rock station. And Aerosmith would always uh, be on there. So that's what gets you out there. Boston being a big market, obviously people roll in and out of Boston. Aerosmith got to keep their, uh, their material out in the public. That is so cool thinking about that. Now, if you listen to this podcast for a while, you know that I'm a big radio guy. I've been listening to the radio since I was a kid. That's how I heard a lot of the music that I like to listen to. You've heard these stories countless times if you've listened to this uh, podcast. I still think radio is important. It's about making money. It's about commercials. And you're going to have to have local radio stations to do that along with TV. Now, what's important about this for musical artists is that's how... Your material, your content, as it's called today, is also pushed out there along with the streaming services and all that. Now, if you're like me or if you're of my generation, you don't follow a lot of what's trending and what's not trending because we're still stuck in the stations that play classic rock and things like that. I always like going around and flipping stations, especially if I'm traveling, to get a little taste of what's going on out there in music land. That's how I've discovered uh, Greta Van Fleet. I was pleasantly surprised. Thank you very much, radio. And uh, it's time to move on because I've ranted enough about radio. <sighs> Speaking of radio, this is Poison. And every rose has its thorns. We both lie silently still in the dead of the night. <laughs> I have no formal training, but <laughs> I think I do pretty good on the radio. Poison, 1988. December the 24th, actually today, back in 1988. Uh, hair metal reaches its apogee as Poison's power ballad, Every Rose Has Its Thorns, hits number one in the U.S., and it stays on there for uh, three weeks. What a freight train of a hit this was. And it's not really fair to say just hair metal because the 1980s had a lot of power ballads. It probably started with Ario Speedwagon, Keep on Loving You, has an insane guitar riff in there. Also Boston, uh, Amanda, I think Adam and me were speaking about that not too long ago. Uh, there were some other, uh, uh, other groups that had power ballads. But for the hard rock scene, the glam, the heavy metal quote unquote scene, this had to be the top tier of uh, the power ballads. And now we, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to define the power ballad as a romantic song with heavy guitars or said the power chords playing within uh, the song or, you know, have some kind of significant solo like the one I mentioned from Ariel Speedwagon. But why was this one significant? Because it was hair metal. And hair metal had the good-looking guys with the big hair and these uh, really tough attitudes. But, you know, they were very popular. They were very popular with the young ladies. And uh, that was their forte. Every single one of these groups evidently followed this pattern. And they came up with a power ballad either uh, before or after this one, this particular one from 
poison because you had, you know, you had the Cinderella's. Let me think here. Who else? Uh, you had uh, the uh, Faster Pussycat. Uh, you had, uh, uh, you know, uh, Skid Row, I remember you. Uh, you also had Warren. Warren had that one song, which was, I think it was Heaven. Uh, ooh, there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, Motley Crue had had a power ballad with Home Sweet Home prior to uh, this one, which was a big hit as well. Yeah, Def Leppard, Hysteria. Uh, wow, uh, the number one power ballad that I can remember over Every Rose Has a Storm is Sister Christian by Night Ranger a couple of years prior to Every Rose Has Its Thorn. That one was accompanied not only by the hard guitars, but also that pounding drum goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was, your mother and dun, dun, dun. <laughs> let me control myself. But I know you're thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. I'm also thinking about that REO Speedwagon song. Let me uh, put this on pause again. This is like the pause podcast. Give me one second as I look this up. If Adam was here, he'd be already looking for these things. Then I would yak a little bit more. When he found it, he would signal me and I wouldn't have to pause this daggone podcast. I'll be right back. Or if this was a radio show, I would say, we'll be right back as we pause for station identification. (laughs) Okay, I'm back. Uh, I may have to do that every time I need to pause now. No. Okay, I have have the sample queued up here. Let me see how I'm going to do this. Uh, All right, so give me a little bit of volume. And there you go. Okay, this is the, the example. For the power ballads, you have the chorus, right? And this is not all always the same thing. But the chorus is kind of the lead-in to that one solo action that's going to drive you insane. It'll drive the chicks insane, too. So check it out. So here it is right here. That's a cool part. Oh, power chord. Yeah. Goes right into the chorus again. I don't want to sleep, but uh, there's some people sleeping in this house. Let me... uh, calm myself down (sighs) breathe in breathe out relax i don't know my buddy podcast buddy and partner adam is a big uh fan of the power ballad but i am uh i'm a kind of romantical guy so (laughs) you know and another thing about the uh the power ballad is that you remember those guitar solos you remember those power chords as you air guitar them And you also remember, you know, those romantical times with the young ladies as you listen to these songs and get your groove on as well. Uh, Again, not trying to take anything away from Poison since this was a historical uh, piece on Poison. Yeah, the power ballad brings back a lot of memories (laughs) for me and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast. They were excellent times along with excellent music. And this is a Psycho Stick Zombie Claws. Ha ha ha! 
Yeah. They should play this on uh, the Christmas stations and in the malls and anywhere else they're shopping. I'm sure this would help them <laughs> to move to move along with their day. They should play this song with the uh, hit that we introduced on our last podcast, uh, the Tommy and Adam uh, Hearts and Aim podcast, uh, MILF on a Shelf. <laughs> if uh, you remember that, uh, and if you didn't uh, hear it, go back and check out our last episode. It was pretty good. Zombie Claws. It's nuts. It's a good parody of a song that we had featured in lyrics that will blow your mind. Back in our Halloween special, starting out our season number four. Self-promotion of Rob Zombie's Dragula. Okay, where am I? Oh, okay, this is pretty boring, but I was just looking for an excuse to play this parody you, you just heard. Uh, back in 2002, December the 10th of 2002, I'll go through this as fast as I can. Musicologist and author Rob Durkee, not Rob Zombie, compiled a list of the top 10 Christmas songs of all time, according to uh, sales and radio airplay. Here is the number one song, because I'm not going to bore you with this list, or the artists that are behind it. Uh, White Christmas uh, by Bing Crosby, back in 1942, is the top ten of all time. I like the medley he does with uh, David Bowie, but again, I'm a Bowie fan. And the rest of the list, if you guys want to go on there, you could go check it out. Uh, it has all the standards on there. You can imagine Little Drummer Boy, the Christmas song, even the Chipmunks. If you were thinking Mariah Carey's uh, All I Want for Christmas is on this list, it wasn't. Even though it was released, uh, I think it was like the early 90s, back in 2002, it still uh, was not on the top 10, according to this musicologist. Boring story over. Let's keep on. As in rambling on. Played by Zeppelin. This is Nathaniel Murphy. And you know that's rambling on. the hell out of you with that bullshit Christmas list song. <laughs> yeah. 2003, December the 11th. Wait a minute. Did I just say rambling on? It's ramble on. If I said rambling on, I'll listen to it later. But if I did say rambling on, the one who's rambling is me. But in <laughs> 2003, December the 11th, 2003, I get all excited, you know. You know how it is. I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, that's my excuse. Uh, Tommy Hubbard from Whitby, and that would be in England, at the time aged 14, won the 2003 Riffathon. The Riffathon is a uh, nationwide competition held in Great Britain, and it benefits the Action for Brazil's Children's Trust. The final was held at the University of Surrey and was judged by Jimmy Page and Brian May. The 10 Riffathon finalists each performed a Led Zeppelin classic track with a full live band. Tommy's performance, and that would be Tommy Hubbard, uh, his performance of Ramble On won him a star prize of a 1958 reissue Gibson Les Paul Standard guitar donated by Gibson Guitars out of there of uh, Memphis, Tennessee. That's pretty cool. Just being there, able to perform in front of uh, guitar legends 
Jimmy Page and Brian May of Queen. That would be prize enough. If you have the chops to do it, that alone would be an excellent experience. Get yourself out there. Get yourself noticed. Get yourself exposure. Get to meet possibly heroes of uh, what you enjoy doing. A million dollars says this guy had a great Christmas that year. I know I would have. Nah, bro, you, you see me, bro? I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. I'm hard, bro. Let's get started. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Historic hip hop rapizzle moment. Yo. Also, the historic hip-hop rap pizzle. I get so excited, I start yelling. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is Run DMC. And you know it's Christmas in Hollis. Yeah. Nice. Ah. Uh. The Hip Hop Rap Hizzle, the best segment of this podcast after uh, <laughs> the Zeppelin uh, segment. Yeah, Christmas and Hollis, Run DMC, the group responsible and the uh, the pioneers of putting hip hop out there uh, in the mainstream. This is one of their awesome hits, a little bit underrated, maybe because it's a Christmas tune. I really don't know, but I enjoy it. I'm a fan of Run DMC. I think, uh, wait a minute, hold up. Give me a second. Oh, it's my grandson. What up, Baba? Come on over here. Hey, you came just in time. It's the hip hop rap pizzle moment. Come on over here. He's what? He's playing with my guitar. Hold up. Uh, I'm going to have to put this on pause. Okay, I'm back again. This is definitely the pause podcast. Yeah, my grandson Lorenzo, he was playing with he was playing with my bass, not my guitar. My guitar is out for a, a much needed upgrade by the uh, mighty Aaron Epp. But anyway, where was I? Uh, yes, I was talking about Run DMC and their song Christmas and Hollis. That would be Hollis Queens. They were rapping about their community, where they were from and the neighborhood they represent. On many of their hip-hop's rap records. I like Run DMC. They use power chords on a bunch of their songs. They were produced by Rick Rubin on the, the uh, Def Jams label. Yeah. If you want to know about that, you could also go on previous podcasts and check out some information on the Def Jam label and also on Rick Rubin and some other groovy and cool information we put out on this podcast. There's uh, also a Christmas song list by none other than the hip-hop community. Uh, you could also Google that, but I'll give you a few uh, samplings here. Uh, I won't play them for you, but you can look them up yourself. Christmas in the Ghetto by Master P. We 
were talking about that not too long ago. A southern rapper down there from the New Orleans area. Here's one that's called Ballin' on Christmas by Jim Jones. Here, Oh, Dana Dane is coming to town. That's a spin on Santa Claus is coming to town. Oh, the next one. Deck the Clubs by the Yin Yang Twins. That's about, you know, great things such as strippers at the club isle. Actually, I think I remember that one. That one went like, uh, deck the halls with lots of honey. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to find it here real quick while I'm still going down this list. I hate being distracted while I'm looking through all these computer websites and the rest. Uh, here's one uh, from The Reverend Run. It was called Santa Baby. Uh, let me see. Sleigh Ride by TLC. I didn't know they had one out. Uh, Santa Claus comes straight to the ghetto. That's by Snoopy Doggy Dog. Oh, here's a cool one. Player's Ball, but it's the Christmas mix. Outcast. Oh, okay. I just found the. Uh, I found what I wanted to play for you guys. Let me see. And here it goes. It's Christmassy. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> okay, piles of money is what it is, not honey. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's my confusion. It, it, she makes you think she's your honey. <laughs> wow, another one that she'll be playing at the mall, along with the rest of the songs we've already mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, Curtis Blow was probably the first one to have some kind of a Christmas rapping song. It was actually called just that Christmas rapping by Mr. Curtis Blow. <laughs> the Yang Yang Twins never, never, ever disappointed. I don't believe they disappointed the, uh, the hell's that noise? Oh, that's a car. <laughs> wow, this is a confusing podcast with all the starting and stopping. You could go ahead on your own and you could search on the internet for hip-hop Christmas songs if that's your taste or if you're interested. And I'm 100% positive that uh, many of these lists or uh, many of these songs will be appearing on these lists. And since this is the hip-hop rap hizzle moment, we can't leave without looking into a definition or two from the Urban Dictionary. Possibly the hip hop rap hizzle dictionary. So number one Christmas, it says here, a time when an obese chubby and hairy man with a body mass index of obesity category three, oh, before cookies, uses the illegal tactic of breaking and entering to raid your home, steal your cookies, and then leave presents that you will most likely be anticipating for the whole night. That's messed up. Uh, <laughs> reading that reminded me, of this uh, Christmas event that my wife and I went to. Uh, there was this needy community and we knew this guy that was holding a kind of a toy giveaway, toy distribution. They sign up, I guess, the people in the congregation or the people in the community and the church would hand out these pretty good toys to whoever would come by that day. And the guy asked me to be Santa. I have the Santa suit. I, I want to be very clear when I say this. Uh, this story is not to make myself a saint or receive any kind of praise. I, I, On a personal level, I do remember that. I was one of the kids that would jump onto the welfare bus and go to the welfare kids Christmas party. I have never forgotten that. It's part of my history it's uh it's you know it makes you who you are 
And I have a soft spot for that kind of stuff. If you could go out there and make a little difference on that, sure, go ahead. Uh, but I'm just telling this story because that one definition on the Urban Dictionary reminded me of this. So we're out there, my wife and I, and I was all decked out in my Santa suit. I had covered my tattoos, all that. And uh, <laughs> I was playing the part, but I don't play the conventional Santa Claus, as you can imagine. Inside uh, this room or this big hall of this church, there was all kinds of family in there. There was uh, Latino families, African-American families. There was Caucasian families. There was Asian families. And, you know, it's because poverty and need isn't racial it's social and if you understand that then it's okay and i'll go out there and i don't do the ho 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 and all that stuff because that's not you know that's not what i do plus you don't want to be saying ho 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 in an area where potentially that could get you into a lot of crap uh i was i was walking around saying hi giving out candies and whatever in my regular voice, just like I have right now, this horrible voice that you hear on this podcast, which is even worse without my friend Adam here. But uh, I roll up to this African-American family and there was these two kids there, maybe 11, 11, 12, that age group, more or less. And the first one, I, I give him some dap, you know, dap. It's the, you know, the, the cool handshake. And uh, the kid says to me, he said, hey, Santa. Can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure, man. Go ahead. Ask away. And he says, why are you coming to my house and eat my chips ahoy cookies and leave me the cheap ones? Hmm, that's not cool. <laughs> it was so funny when this kid says this to me. So I'm laughing away, just answering, probably giving him some nonsense answer, trying to figure out, hey, how, do you, you know, how am I going to disappoint this kid? This kid obviously knows there's no such thing as Santa Claus. Uh, and the second kid comes up to me and he says, hey, Santa, can I get some dap too? <laughs> so I give him the dap. And and just for, uh, just maybe for, for uh, the benefit of those who don't know uh, what dap is, it says here that dap is a friendly gesture of greeting agreement or solidarity between two people that has become popular in Western cultures, particularly since the 1970s, originating from African-American communities. Uh, <laughs> so I give the kid his dap, and he says, Santa, can I ask you a question too? And I should absolutely go ahead, man, go shoot away. And he says, Santa, you know how you come into the houses? And I say, yeah, of course, I'm Santa Claus. I come down the chimneys, whatever. And he says, do you know you could be charged with breaking and entering? And he was dead serious, too. The grandma, whoever was there, said, uh-oh, it's, it's time to stop. <laughs> oh, man. And that was my cue to exit stage left. <laughs> oh, that kid made my day. He made it all worthwhile. <laughs> that story warmed my heart. So I'm going to end uh, the hip-hop rap pizzle now on a positive note from a definition that's also in the uh, Urban Dictionary. It says, Christmas is a fun holiday. On Christmas, people get presents, even those people who don't like presents. It's also time to spend with family and friends just enjoying each other's company. <laughs> and just when you thought that I couldn't piece together hip-hop and Christmas, well, guess what? You thought wrong, my homie.
Trump. You're a callous sexist stooge. Mocking disabled reporters calling women <laughs> ugly too. Tying Dr. in Christmas to God knows what I could find. And this is a page off of a, this is a parody off of the college humor YouTube page <laughs> titled, uh, You're a Mean One, Mr. Trump. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's incredible. Anyway, since this is the podcast that uh, enjoys fucking with everybody every chance that we get, huh? In 2016, December the 18th of 2016, former Motley Crue vocalist Vince Neil revealed that just hours after he had been recruited, recruited to perform at Donald Trump's presidential inauguration in Washington, D.C. on January the 20th of the following year, he was abruptly uninvited without explanation. Just like, oh, sorry, Vince, you're not coming. I'm going to speculate here. I'm going to say that Mr. Vince Neil is not a fanatical maniac conservative. Mm, he's not a Ted Nugent, and at a lesser level, he is not a Kid Rock. So that may be the number one reason he was uninvited. The hardcore hard rock fans don't tend to lean over to the uh, conservative crazies as easy as you would think. That's just me. Also, hardcore, hard rock, heavy metal fans are not persuaded as easy as maybe some of the rednecks that do like Ted Nugent and Kid Rock. I've been to many of a Motley show. I have never, ever heard anything political at those uh, at those shows. Again, I could be wrong. That's number one. My second guess, for those with short memory, please remember that Motley Crue drummer Tommy Lee was one of the maniac liberals that said they were going to leave the country along with a few others if Donald Trump won. Now, Vince Neil's in the same band Tommy Lee was. In my guess, Vince Neil was uninvited because he was associated to Tommy Lee. This weekend, oh yeah, kiss! Yeah, and this is KISS, Rock and Ride, baby. Those are the deep cuts that my partner, Mr. Adam Tate, loves. The ultimate classic rock headline on 14 December read, Paul Stanley says, Kiss is far from done, and far from done were in quotes, as the final tour rages on. Paul Stanley predicts Kiss fans will get to see the band in some capacity even after they complete their end-of-the-road farewell tour and ostensibly retire from touring. If I remember correctly, I had mentioned this in the past episode. There have been quite a few articles here and there about what's going to be happening with the Kiss Machine once the two main components of the group, which is, you know, Paul Stanley and Mr. Uh, Gene Simmons, once they stop touring. Everything from holograms to reincarnations, uh, other characters, 
anything that could carry on with this uh, KISS enterprise. Who knows, it's even possible that they could have a multimedia show. Today's technology has allowed them to continue touring, even with surgery to uh, the vocal cords of Mr. Paul Stanley. Uh, some of the tracks that are overlaid over their live playing and all these things that could be used today to carry on a professional show. Now, let's go ahead and read some excerpts of this article from UCR. KISS is like an army or a sports team, Stanley tells UCR. Ahead of his Saturday exhibition at Short Hills, New Jersey, Wentworth Gallery. Now, here's right off the bat. You could tell that this interview is already plugging Paul Stanley's side project as a painter. Right out the gate, classic Kiss move, where he'll show off his new original paintings, hand-painted signature Ibanez guitar. The Ibanez brand is one of the guitars Mr. Paul Stanley plays, mixed-media originals, and limited-edition metal artworks. And after that plug, Mr. Paul Stanley is quoted again saying, when the MVP is no longer playing or retired, the team doesn't call it quits. On a battlefield, an army when they lose soldiers, doesn't wave the white flag. Somebody else picks up the weapon and runs forward. So in one form or another, I believe there will always be a kiss. Then he goes on this whole soliloquy about how he didn't invent the wheel, but who am I to believe I'm the only MVP, I'm the only person that could use the weapons of combat. You know, the way I see it is, who am I to say I am the only person that could actually play rock and roll pick up my guitar and believe that once it's over, nobody else is going to come behind me. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but you get the idea. Now, Stanley previously said Kiss has a right to evolve without him as a means of survival. Again, there it is right there. You're trying to keep that enterprise going. There are bands touring at this point with one or no original members. And I have no problem with that because it didn't happen overnight. If you ask me, they're prepping for the next stage. Earlier this year, also here on this same article, bandmate Gene Simmons also mused with the concept of a KISS tour that featured no original members. He was quoted as saying, the Blue Man Group and the Phantom of the Opera tour around the world with different personnel. As classic rock heyday superstars continue retiring or just leaving the spotlight due to health issues, age, and so forth, it's good that there is some kind of plan for at least my generation to continue enjoying entertainment like this. I do think there's plans in motion. We don't know exactly what it is. When it comes to the kids camp, these guys have proven to be kind of pioneers when it comes to reinvention. And if not, they'll go ahead and latch on to whatever the reinvention may be, whatever the other artists may be coming up with, and they'll just make it their own. And this is not as a Uber Uber fan, but this is entertainment in general. And I, and I think Kiss is going to deliver when it when it comes to that. You can look up the article. It's on ultimateclassicrock.com. It finishes with, we're far from done. I'd like to say that this is the end of the road, but they keep paving more road, Stanley says with a laugh. The only people that seem to bother are the people who hate us. And that's, you know, and that's almost with every single group or artist, whoever's out there putting out their art, there's going to be people who hate them. And I think the more successful they are, the more hate they receive. I, for one, am very anxious to see what they could come up with. Quick note before we leave this segment, Peter Chris turned 75, original drummer of one of my favorite bands, Kiss, this one right here, you know it. He was born December the 20th, 1947. 
also celebrating a birthday. He turned 69, oh, 69 on December the 12th of 1953. Mr. Bruce Kulick, one of the greatest guitarists to be counted amongst those who have lent and shared of their talent and played lead guitar for none other than Kiss. Born on this day, rock and roll birthdays. And it's Mr. Rick Nielsen, born December the 20th of 1948, and he's 74 years old. I've said this to Adam before. I think that Rick Nielsen is a very underrated guitarist. He has played, it has to be over the more than 50 years with Cheap Trick and they have just given us great songs. I'm a big Cheap Trick fan as well. So yeah, happy birthday, Mr. Rick Nielsen. And he's funny too. The best thing he has is that gigantic, ridiculous guitar made in his image. It's a double neck. You got to check it out. Also, celebrating a birthday this month, born on December the 17th, 1949, 73. It's Mr. Paul Rogers, the singer of this group right here, Bad Company. Love this song. Yeah. That I've got to get ready. I think we covered this song in uh, lyrics that'll blow your mind. At some point, we'll. And speaking of lyrics that'll blow your mind, real quick, that'll return once Adam returns. So, FYI, yeah, Paul Rogers, singer of uh, Free and Bad Company, also member of the Firm with Jimmy Page, if you remember that. So, there's a bunch of other rock and roll birthdays this past month. I guess people were doing the spanky wanky nine months previous to have these bunch of people born in December. One would have been Keith Richards, born December the 18th of 1943. He's 79 years old today. Happy birthday, Keith Richards. Derek Smalls, basis of a Spinal Tap, aka Harry Shear of uh, The Simpsons. Also, 79 today. He was born December the 23rd. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes, yesterday. He celebrated his birthday in 1943. Ted Nugent. We just mentioned him a little earlier. When I briefly mentioned Maniac Conservatives, he is 74 years old today. Carmina Peace, drummer for Vanilla Fudge. Also, stand-in drummer for Ozzy Osbourne. Beck, and even for Rod Stewart, Dave Murray of Iron Maiden. He was born December the 23rd of 1958. He's 64. Eddie Vedder had a birthday yesterday. He was born in 1964, December the 23rd of 1964. He's 58. Oh, wow. Here we are again. We came right back to Joseph Simmons, a.k.a. Reverend Run, a.k.a. one-third of the rap group Run DMC. Yeah, he was born December the 14th, 1966. He is 56 years old. Chris Robinson. Of the Black Crows, he was born December the 20th of 1966. He's also 56 today. Tom DeLonge, did I pronounce that right? Anyway, the guitar player for Blink-182, December the 13th of 1975. He's 47 today. What makes this guy worthy of being mentioned here on Rock and Roll Birthdays Born on This Day segment is that this guy 
is a believer in UFOs, aliens, other conspiracy theories. Even before he was a member of Blink-182, he may have used this platform to follow his passion. I know he's been on the news. He had something to do with, I believe he interviewed a member of President Joe Biden's cabinet campaign team and they discuss this issue about ufos <laughs> another thing this guy has done which i think is awesome he's created search parties to find bigfoot what better way than to blow all your rock star money chasing unicorn rabbits down a hole <laughs> also 47 today is a bandmate travis barker he was born December the 14th of 1975. Uh, that's the drummer of Blink-182. Also uh, has worked with a lot of artists. He's kind of like a Tommy Lee guy. He's done a lot of hip-hop stuff and beats and things like that. He is currently known as a Kardashian banger. He's banging one of them. Don't know which one it is, evidently. This is a big deal in pop culture, so hooray for him. Don't hate, congratulate. Christina Aguilera, yum yum. She was born December the 18th of 1980. She's 40 dues today. And I have seen some current pictures of her. So she is very well worthy of being mentioned before we start off with this. Oh, the to the booty. Oh, booty, booty. I've got a booty. You've got a booty. But man, does she have a booty? Booty, 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 booty. Oh, booty, influence me. Influence the unsuspecting world with that booty. It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, but Influencer Showcase. The studio comes alive, or at least I come alive when I hear Adam's voice. All right, but Influencer, we're going to do this one quickly, just like we did last episode. This segment will be a research on your own until my friend Adam comes back. And it's time to activate the Lord of the G-Strings app, version 1.69. Bang. <laughs> What's very interesting here is I found that once the Lord of the G-Strings app was updated to version 1.69. It immediately goes to photographs that you could obviously tell that butts are influencing. And also, I noticed that there's those pins that Adam had spoke about not too long ago. Let's go into this profile and meet Vanessita Oficial. And Vanessita Oficial is V-A-N-E-S-S-I-T-A-O-F-I-C-I. A-L. She is a fashion model. Oop, what were the chances? The photograph that we have here is a very classic but influencing photograph. I would say it was taken so your eyes could go directly to the Rumpenstein. It has influenced 163,500 influencees. Now, her caption says, 
I really like this photo. I hope you do too. What is there not to like? Then she has the little emojis that has a rose and a, I think that's the little face with the heart throwing a kiss. Without a doubt, this photograph was created to deliberately influence those who need to be influenced by butts. Uh, so let's go here real quick. Oh, I, she's from Panama City, Panama. So that's why all these comments are in Spanish. But no worries because uh, Mr. Adam showed me how to hit these translates here on Instagram. Hmm. They're the, the regular ones, you know. Uh, let me see. I love it. There's one that says divine. There's another one that says spectacular. And the emojis are all hearts, hearts, fires, fires, things like that. Oh, here's a very nice poetic one. Of all the roses, you are the most beautiful. I'm sure the eyes went immediately to the rose that she's holding. Well, I think I just found the winner. A user called Giron underscore 281 says, I will kiss every corner of your continent. <laughs> she actually responded with, with one of those heart emoji. <laughs> I wonder which continent he was referring to. Difficult being more mature than your father. That has to be a first for our podcast. Somebody calling the uh, <laughs> the butt influencer a continent. <laughs> Actually, it is almost as big as a continent. <laughs> Let me clear the space in my head and get ready for hashtag what the frijoles. <laughs> Ay, ay, ay. The internet never disappoints, does it? Because I have another wonderful story for the hashtag What the Frijoles on this episode. And it's titled, Florida Dominatrix Requests Public Funding for a Community Sex Dungeon. Oh, this just came out yesterday, too. And it is off boingboing.net. Oh, this is definitely a credible source. <laughs> boingboing.net. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It immediately cites Rolling Stone <laughs> as, its, uh, as its source. And it says, via Rolling Stone, a Florida-based dominatrix known only as Miss Crave. Miss Crave. I need to, hold on. Let me, let me refocus here. Let me refocus. <sighs> Attended a recent Fort Lauderdale City Council meeting with a proposal to spend roughly $250,000 of public funds on a BDSM dungeon created for us by us, the taxpayers, and <laughs> voting citizens. Ooh, BDSM, what does that stand for? Uh, let me go ahead and really quick look this up. BDSM. Oh, Miriam Webster. <laughs> Miriam Webster has a definition for it. It says a sexual activity involving such practices as the use of physical restraints, the granting and relinquishing of control, and the infliction of pain. <laughs> Bondage, domination, sadomasochism. 
Oh, wow. I knew what the SM was. And not only because of Metallica's S&M album either, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't recall what the BD was. So it says, the meeting was attended to discuss plans for a new $1 million yard waste management facility. But as a leather-clad Miss Crave, and you got to look at this. There's pictures and everything here. It says, she told the counselors, I do, however, find it interesting that you will spend almost $1 million to hide your secrets down the drain. Hiding that condom I know you use to cheat on your spouse with. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that needs to make national news. Before leaving, Miss Crave raised a glove hand and added, I look forward to spanking each and every one of you at the new esteemed dungeon. You are dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> According to a local news network, okay, that's cool. At least it made local news at Fort Lauderdale. This was likely just a publicity stunt for the new club called Crave, which recently opened in the former Pink Pussycat building on Northwest 36th Street. That's just in case the council members forgot the address of the Pink Pussycat. Anyway, it ends with, it describes itself, the club, you know, the new one says, no rules, no labels, no boundaries, fully interactive ultra lounge, but hey, why not fun public space for safe sex play? Wow. <sighs> they throw away enough money and other bullshit. Why not this? What the hell? <laughs> Maybe Ms. Crave is onto something. Maybe she can spank both Democrats and Republicans who sit on this Fort Lauderdale City Council and <laughs> when they're not reaching a consensus, she could help them out a little bit. So, you can't reach on an agreement, can you? Okay. There you go, you naughty, naughty boys. <laughs> you too, you're a naughty, naughty girl. <sighs> oh, God. It's the Tommy and Adam hard-to-name podcast, Sound of the Week. All right, let's get down to some serious business here. Dave Grohl performed his Hanukkah Sessions, a series at a secret show in Los Angeles Tuesday night. Now, if you've been paying attention to the rock news and the rock world in the past few years, Dave Grohl gets together with keyboardist and multi-instrumentalist Greg Kirsten, and they perform songs that were created by Jewish artists. It's something he's been doing for a couple of years now. He had guests on there such as Pink, Beck, and Tenacious D. It's on the internet. It's on YouTube. And here's a small sample, one that he did with Mr. Jack Black. And with that intro, you know it's Rush's spirit of the radio. Give us some more volume. Now, mind you, this is just Greg Kirsten and Dave Grohl on the drums. That's it. And for every single song, the singer would come in and do so. In this case, Mr. Jack Black would bring his own little special touch. Begin the day with a friendly Woo! I get worked up. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. Always right. Check it out. I'm not here to play the whole thing, but make a little effort and check it out. Woo! It would have been absolutely fantastic to be sitting in that audience, but it's probably an exclusive event. Moving on, the symphonic power heavy metal band from Finland and Barry and Dawn uh, released this week a tribute to ABBA. Now, when I came across this, I said, I have to listen to this, just, just in case. I'm not a ABBA hater. I said, well, let's see what, what kind of versions of the ABBA songs they came up with that were mm, digestible. Let's put it that way. Take a listen. This is SOS. And it immediately made me think of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Singer, compatible voice to the ABBA singers. I get it. Oh, there's the harmonies, absolutely. Very polished. It's all right. You can check it out on your own. I'm sure the uh, majority of the legion of listeners of our podcast are not fans of it, but eh, something different. All right, finally, we all know and we're tortured with the World Cup and Argentina winning. And we put faces to a bunch of names that we've heard other than Beckham. One being their star player, uh, Lionel Messi or Lionel Messi or Lionel Messi, however you want to call him. And having won this insane tournament, this guy had no peace. He even gave an interview from a restroom. Now, the Tommy and Adam hard to name podcast special event recording team so happened to be there. Let's take a listen. Now that is a lot of pressure being released. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess Messi left a messy. <laughs> oh, 
It's the Tommy oh, and Adam Hard man. to Name podcast. Sound of the week. Oh, geez. I may have lost my mind. <laughs> uh, fartistry at his best. Absolutely. I still think it's still not as good as my friend Adam would have done it. It's time to get out of here. Good times, bad times. On the Tommy and Adam Martin Podcast. Let's start off with the bad times real quick for Mr. Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne's tour dilemma. I just can't fucking walk much. Yep, that sounds like Ozzy. And last episode, I briefly touched on this subject when I mentioned Steven Tyler not being up on uh, his health. Wasn't able to deliver on that residency that Aerosmith is supposed to be having in Las Vegas. Anyway, after enduring a myriad of health problems over the past few years, Ozzy Osbourne is eager to get back on stage but he says there's one obstacle left to overcome. And he's quoted as saying, my head is all right. My creativity's okay. My singing's okay. But I just can't fucking walk much now. The Black Sabbath and Solo Star explained during the recent interview on a serious XM radio station. I can't tell you how fucking frustrating life has become. I've never been this ill this long in my life. As years progress, it's going to be happening with all our favorite artists. Just the fact of life. You know, your health deteriorates and, you know, you just can't perform. And Ozzy is a dynamite performer. I kind of uh, feel what he's saying. I'm up there to an age and, you know, you come up with these little aches and pains. But he's up there in his 70s. So, and this is a lot of years of just putting all kinds of things in your body. And not only that, putting them in and all that energy you expend on stage. Also, uh, I believe his wife, Sharon, on a, in a separate article, she had been uh, hospitalized, was also suffering from some health problems. And if you've been paying attention to the rock news, you, you could get a summary of all his health issues here in the past years. But he's currently scheduled to resume his long-delayed No More Tours to world tour on may the 3rd somewhere in in finland he he hasn't performed a full-length concert since december of 2018 even though i think he showed up on the uh nfl halftime show sometime not too long ago despite his uh, various health battles and the covid lockdown osborne has managed to still release two well-received studio albums 2020's ordinary man and this year's patient number nine that's the one he performed at that nfl halftime show you can look up the article, read it for yourself. It ends by saying, I really miss being with the kids. Yeah, Osborne really does rev up that crowd. If you've been to an Aussie show, in the audience, you're going to have teens all the way past my age to probably past Ozzy's age if they're still out there. I really think Ozzy does miss it. I mean, he's done it for a very long time. It's, it has to be in his blood. It has to be an essence of his uh, soul. We know he's listening to this podcast. He knows that Adam and me wish him a quick and a wonderful recovery. And hopefully we'll be able to see Ozzy out there sometime soon. Preoccupying story aside, let's close it out with good times. According to VintageHeavyMetal.com, where everything else is just noise. <laughs> that's exactly how it's uh, presented to us. Iron Maiden Christmas lights annoy uptight neighbors. I love it. Absolutely. Uh, this dude, Michael D'Amour, 
has synced his outdoor Christmas lights display to Iron Maiden songs and plays them on a continuous loop, driving his tight-ass neighbors totally insane. Now, is this story true or not? I have no idea, and I really don't care. The visuals on it are pretty spectacular. I'm also going to place the link on the description of this podcast so you can immediately go to it and check it out. I think if I were able to do something like this in my house and convince my wife to let me do it, it'd be pretty freaking cool. Just imagine that, you know, to a bunch of Christmas lights flashing. Yeah, Iron Maiden Christmas. And then an inflatable Eddie. Oh, the ideas. They start flowing immediately in my head. Yeah. Iron Maiden Christmas, that's the way to go. And just like that, it's over. Again, a Merry Christmas. And uh, a Happy New Year's Eve. The next weekend. Hopefully the next time you listen to this podcast, you'll be listening to my friend Adam Tate along with me. And I think that's it. Thank you for a great year. Thank you for listening. I think that's the coolest part is just putting this out for you. Adam, that's for you, buddy. Okay, and as always, we want to thank our legion of listeners, our fans, and whoever else subjects themselves to this podcast. We really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious, nor anything we have said on this podcast. Question everything and don't believe anyone. Again, search with the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, and everywhere else this podcast is on demand and streaming. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we are online. Write a comment and share it with a friend, but mostly with an enemy. In for my buddy, Adam Tate. I am Tommy Martinez. And today is December the 24th of 2024, and you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Happy New Year, and remember to always play it often, play it loud, but play it. Yeah! The Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast is produced by Data Colossal Yeah! Which are the cancers that they call up from